Fading Memories is sponsored by I'm Up. I'm Up is an app that gives you independence, security, and peace of mind. Find it in your favorite app store and use invite code 006 when you sign up. Welcome to Fading Memories, a supportive podcast for those of us caring for a loved one with memory loss. Ever since my wife died, my kids are driving me crazy. How so? They call me at different times of the day to make sure everything is fine. But if for whatever reason I don't answer the phone, they freak out and then all three call, text. Sometimes they even call my neighbors to have them come check on me. Well, they want to make sure you're okay. Yeah, but the other day I was in the yard, left my phone in the house, got to chatting with the neighbor, and when I got back inside, all hell had broken loose. There's got to be a better way. Caregiver confession sounds like admitting to things we are ashamed of, but my research tells me differently. As I've said many times, caring for a significant other or parent is not like raising a child. Caregivers struggle with negative emotions and more. To discuss some of the more common struggles, I teamed up with another podcaster, Kate, who is a forensic psychologist. The podcast, Ignorance Was Bliss, focuses on conversations the host Kate wants to have or finds interesting. You can find a different part of our conversation on her podcast. We discussed my journey with mom and Kate asked some insightful questions. Some of her questions made me stop and think before I answered, so I'm sure you'll appreciate that part of our conversation on her podcast as well. The link to that is in the show notes, and I hope you pop over there and give it a listen. For my part of the conversation, Kate and I discussed some of the more common struggles, negative emotions and feelings that most, if not all, caregivers struggle with. I know you'll benefit from Kate's insight, so let's just dive right in. said that you, you found some confessions of your own, you know, not, not of your personal confession, but you went out and found some, so let's talk about those. Yeah, I kind of tripped over them online, which was, I'm like, okay, this was meant to be, because I did not get anybody that ever sent me a private message with theirs, and I understand why, because there's a lot of times the way I feel towards my mom is super negative, and I don't necessarily know that I want to always talk about that, so. Right. Um. But a lot of people suffer from self-doubt. They get very concerned, especially in the earlier stages, because they can kind of go in and out of daffy moments is how I like to call it. But one day they can be fairly clear and, you know, maybe the doctor has said, yes, your mother has Alzheimer's and today is Wednesday and she seems confused and doesn't remember something that we talked about 10 minutes ago and on Thursday she's clear and she seems fine. And you're like, well, maybe the doctor was wrong. So there's, I think there's a lot of that self doubt. And this one person had written that they were, they were had self doubts was their perceptions about their loved one's struggles. Correct. And I can relate to that because I wonder, you know, is my mom happy? You know, I know her friend stresses her out a little bit, but is that in a negative way or is it just kind of the way, is she just concerned for her friend? I don't know. It's that, that concerns me because I worry that she's not at least moderately happy. I don't know how one lives with no memory. I don't know how you, I mean, she doesn't, they can't remember anything. So how could she be unhappy? But I don't know. It's hard to tell. Sure. And as an onlooker, you know, you have that perspective. You have that step beyond, even if you're the family member, you know, you can point out like, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know, mom, if you're doing better or not. And mom can be like, no, I just didn't tell you, but I was doing fine. Or I just, you know, and there's a lot of sort of that give and take of, of uh, what, what we say is not the same as how we feel. That is true. And that's probably worse for women, unfortunately. Uh, because women are not... We're not, we're supposed to be polite and happy. We're supposed to be the caregiver. So if I burden you with, oh, I'm feeling really stressed. I can't remember what the hell's going on. Now I've stressed you out and that's not what we want to do. And I'm not sure. I don't know. Maybe men feel that way too. I have not dealt with too many men with Alzheimer's because two thirds of 
people living with Alzheimer's are women. And the men that have been in and out of the care residence where mom is at were really far gone except for one. And he kind of graduated over to the assisted living. I'm still not sure how that happened. I think it's, I saw him at Christmas on the assisted living side and he seemed like he was doing really well. And I know he was very, he, he was like a penned up horse in the memory care, just bored and frustrated and, and irritating. <laughs> he was a really nice guy and he had great stories, two super cute little dogs. And they had, I guess his family has enough money. They had a caregiver come in and entertain him. I don't know how often, I think it was three times a week, but I showed up one day and he was gone and I'm like, ah, what the heck? Where'd, where'd, where'd so-and-so go? And I'm like, oh, they moved him over to the assisted living side. And I was like, really? Okay. Cause his mind wasn't that good, but he was much better than my mom and all the other men have been worse off than my mom. So my experiences with men with Alzheimer's has been pretty limited. And so what do you, you know, what do you think about the, the whole self-doubt thing? Did you have that? Yeah, because it's, you wonder if you're doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. Um, moving her into the care home was easier. I knew it was the right decision. It was emotionally super difficult, but I wasn't doubtful about it. When my dad was on hospice and we had to have 24-7 caregivers in their home, the first day when my husband and I were pulling out of the driveway, it reminded me of when my daughter was an infant and probably the first time we left her with my parents, although it was actually worse because I trusted my parents to take care of the baby, especially my mom. My dad probably just didn't do too much because that's how grandpas are. That was harder. It was really hard because we lived 20 miles away and it was like, I don't know if this is the right thing. So moving her into the home was it was emotionally difficult, but I knew it was the right choice. But you always kind of, the back of your mind kind of wonder, well, you know, maybe we could have done something different. But I had already run through all the scenarios. I knew there wasn't a much, there wasn't much in the way of options. 24-7 caregivers will bankrupt you real quick. Yeah. yeah it's like $700 a day. <sighs> yeah. yeah. That makes the care residents look cheap. <laughs> crazy. So So what what kind of stories did you come across? Um, A lot of people felt like they have no control, which I think is very true. They're always waiting for the other shoe to drop. There was an example that was online that I can make anonymous was this person was taking care of her father and there was a health issue that required him to use a walker, but he didn't, he didn't understand why. So he rejected using the walker a lot. He, he would have um, drop in heart rate so he could collapse very easily. And he was a big tall guy. So she was always constantly reminding him, you know, take it slow. Da, 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 da. She had this mantra over and over and over. And I remember reading this thinking, he's not listening to you. And you're stressing yourself out by constantly reminding him to do something that he's not doing. And I didn't know how to comment politely that she just needed to knock that off because she was making it, I mean, she was frustrated that she would constantly remind him of this need to walk slow enough that she could be behind him with the wheelchair in case he got dizzy you know, there's just things like that. And it was like, she was, the whole story was very, very long, but it got to the basically, you know, dinner time. She hadn't eaten all day. She hadn't showered because every time he was ready to move on, it's like, I'm done with, I'm done in the bathroom. I'm going to take my nap. I'm done with my nap. Get me up. I mean, there was no, what's the right word? There was no patience. It was like, I'm ready to get up. Come get me up. I'm done with my food. Take me in the other room. I'm done with the TV. Take me in my bedroom. It was just like, she was just losing her mind and she had no control. And it was, that's the time when you need, you need somebody to come in and relieve you. She had a 16 year old daughter as well. It wasn't helping either. And that was, that's really hard. Cause you don't want to have kids have to have, have to help with their grandparents, but this lady was losing her mind. 
And that's really typical. It's overwhelming. And, and, and you know that tomorrow might be like worse. Exactly. But you, at the same time, you feel like moving them into a care home can feel like giving up. Mm-hmm. Or can feel like I, I failed in some way. And, and I've tried... Re- yeah, and I've tried to spread the message. The episode I did at the beginning of February 2019, it's called My Two Elaines, which is the title of a book that this gentleman wrote. And that's what he talks about is the Elaine that he knew and married and raised kids with is not the same woman as the woman she is now. And I was amazed that a gentleman at 79, and obviously he was a little bit younger when he moved her into the care residence, there's so many people of that generation that that's how they feel. It's like, no, I, you know, it's a better or worse death do you part. And it's like, yeah, with Alzheimer's, that death do you part thing happens before they physically die. And that's, that sounds horrible to say, but it's true. Because like I said earlier, I know that my taking care of my mom shortened my dad's life. I mean, he, he didn't take care of the donated kidney like he should. That was, that was the biggest factor, but... I think he gave up. I think he was so exhausted and he never, he never told me, you know, I tried to help and I got rejected. So I was not stupid enough to continue to insert myself in trying to help because I just upset him and me. And then all of a sudden he was thinking it was 1998 and he had no idea what was going on. And I had two parents with no memory and that's how I ended 2016. lot oh yeah the first three months of well the first two and a half months of 2017 were a thrill my oldest dog died my daughter moved out my dad died we put my mom in the care home and that was all before saint patrick's day Um, yeah i mean my my dad's phrase is that crap clumps (laughs) that is true (laughs) very very true and you know and it's there's the financial struggle when you're taking care of somebody i've talked to people who work from home and and they end up working less and less. So then, you know, you worry about your own health and you worry about your own finances. And it's just, it spirals into this ball of insane worry. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's also a lot of people expressed frustration. There's the unrelenting sadness, which even though mom is in a great residence and I can go over there 24 seven whenever I want. I I have that all the time. Just like I I say, you know, if she lives to 91, I'll lose my mind because it takes so much out of you mentally to spend time with them. And then you feel guilty that it's so difficult to spend time with them. It's just, ugh, it's the worst disease on the planet. Well, you're grieving long before you start the actual physical loss. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, and, and grief is hard. Grief is super hard. And it's super hard when you can't say this is over because tomorrow you might get a glimpse of mom again. You never know. And so, you know, not, not necessarily for the, this, the stage that your personal mom was at. It sounds like she's fairly advanced at this point, And so you don't go over there expecting, you know, right. to suddenly see a glimpse of her. But there are other people, especially in the early stages where, you know, even if it's only one day a week, sometimes they're themselves. Mm-hmm. Or it might be just a a, a a small portion of a day, but I don't get that at all anymore. Right. And But so when that happens, you restart the grief all over again. I believe it. And the fact that she doesn't remember that my dad is gone, um, that's hard. We did have had two instances where she remembered. When we were looking at the wedding album, she was flipping through it and she went, <sighs> it was just so sad. And I'm like, uh, the wedding, <laughs> like what was sad? And she said, well, you know, when your dad passed and I was like, so shocked, I'm not even sure I said anything because he'd been gone for almost a year at that point. And so it just, it hit me like, you know, like a baseball bat. I was like, Whoa. And then it was gone. And then we were driving Probably, I don't remember. I'd have to, I'd have to really dig deep in that memory. We were, I was, we'd been out, and I was driving her back. And I guess it was about three months after the first incident. I was driving her back to her residence, and she likes to talk about the sky. 
you know, most of us enjoy the sky when it's blue with the puffy clouds and sun shining. She likes the sky, even if it's just flat blue. Okay. We talk about the sky. <laughs> it's fine. And then all of a sudden she's talking about, well, it was really sad when your dad passed away. I was like, lady, you don't, you don't bring this stuff up like that suddenly in the car. Look at it. Drive off the road. <laughs> and well, we literally, that, we had she about, say you were dad. Yeah. So she, she knows who you are then too. Well, she remembered in that two minutes and then yep. we were back to talking about the sky. Yeah. So that was April, 2018. And this is basically, you know, people will be hearing this in March, 2019. So it's been almost a year and nothing since then. It's, I know from talking to her that she has less and less clue who I am. I've given up. It's like sometimes the light bulb finally goes on. She would ask, and she asked in a really snotty way, does my husband know where I'm going? And I would always say, yes, mom, I talked to dad. And I realized one day, like I said, the light bulb went off, that that didn't answer her question. Because I was saying, I spoke to dad, and she's asking about her husband. She didn't realize that it's the same person. So now I tell her, oh, yeah, I talked to him. He has no interest in going to the fabric store. He didn't want to go to the tea place or... And then, and that's because it's typically him that answers, that answers her question. And it, I don't get that question in a snotty tone of voice every two minutes as much as I was. So I'm like, yay, for that light bulb going off. <laughs> that's one of the biggest challenges is it's like you, you have a way of dealing with them that's positive for them. And it's as, li as little negative for you as possible. And then of course they, they, decline or they change. It's kind of like when you think you got the baby schedule all nailed down, they change it. It's, ugh, it's a constant, it's like you're constantly chasing a solution. Yeah. Yeah. So let's see other, Oh, people always said, you know, they don't feel like they can relax. Mm -hmm. I don't have that as much cause she's not with me. Exhaustion is pretty common. That one's Did hard. Did she ever live with you or she went straight from her home to the care? She, when my dad, my dad was in the hospital from November 29th, he was 2016 for 32 days. So she was here two or three days at a time. She was at my sister's for two or three days. She was at home. Her sister would take care of her. Bouncing them around is terrible for him. Um, so I got to experience a little bit of what it was like here, but in very small doses. <laughs> So that so was a, you got that exhaustion and you got that inability to, to relax. Yeah. You were very grateful when she finally went to bed because she doesn't track with TV shows. So even if you put on something that she would enjoy, it didn't, you know, if you can't remember two minutes ago, commercials are two minutes long. You have no idea what was going on before the commercials started playing. So, you know, we'd look at scrapbooks and ask questions that didn't work. You know, it was just, it's literally sit around and talk about the sky or the trees or what is your family doing or how old is the dog again? <laughs> it's, it's exhausting because you're just, you're constantly on. And I think even when she was here and you would go to bed, I had to worry about her opening the bedroom door and letting her dog out because the dog never seemed to be able to figure out where the dog door was in the middle of the night. So you can imagine what happened in the middle of the night with the dog. And I have my own three, so I didn't need her dog making messes. So you just constantly, you're there's like a part of your brain that never shuts off because you're, you have to constantly worry. A lot of people with Alzheimer's don't sleep well through the night. Their clocks get all screwed up. And so they sleep half the day and then they're up half the night. And so you don't get any sleep. It's terrible. Mm -hmm. A lot of, you know, there's, it's difficult because the way to combat that is the same way you do it with little kids. You have to wear them out. But mm -hmm. like my mom doesn't do anything. She doesn't do any of the crafts. She doesn't play any of the games, none of that stuff. So you either have to take them for long walks, which is not a bad idea. Or you got to find some way to wear them out and still take care of the 500 things you have to take care of. Mm. And I think, did we talk about regret? Not really. Yeah, that I mean, was, we should. That's a big one. 
Yeah, so that was one that came up a lot when I was reading this online blog. I'm not... Sh- I don't feel... Uh, my biggest regret is that I don't, I don't get to talk to her about my dad, reminisce, which would be nice. Or, you know, like my daughter is planning her wedding and I don't even know if we're going to bring my mom because it's very stressful for somebody to be like, you know, who's wedding? Why are we here? What are we doing? Blah, blah, blah. They get confused. And so they, I think that's why my mom gets kind of snotty, but I don't have, I don't have regrets about putting her in the care facility. Cause I know that's the best place for her. So I guess I'm lucky. I don't feel that one too often, but that was a big one that people had. And they, I don't know what they were regretting. I should have probably written down more details. I mean, there are people who, you know, like we talked about, in a lot of ways, their their brain dies before their body does. And so there are regrets about, I wish I had told her this, or I wish I had asked her that, you know, or that we had gone to this place. You know, that, that, that there are things you can't do with her anymore. That's true. You know, and as you said, my mom's not my mom. And so that kind of regret. The one regret that I have is for her. My dad did not like to travel. As a young child, he he was from Iowa. He moved to California when he was 10. So the first 10 years of his life, one summer the family would travel west, the next summer they would travel east. So he saw a lot of the country that my mom didn't see because her family was less well-off than his. And he just didn't really want to travel. We did some, but not, not like she wanted and I've got older women friends who are widows and they travel all over the world and she's got the money, you know, she could have sold her home or rented it out. Like we're doing move closer to my sister and I, not that she was that far away, but she didn't need a four bedroom house. If it was just the, her and the dog and she could have traveled. And it just, there's sometimes I just like, ugh. So it makes me so mad that he didn't take her the places that she wanted to go. And it just, I feel sad for her that she lost that opportunity because of him and more because of the Alzheimer's. But I try not to think about that too much because, you know, again, you dwell on all that negative. It's bad for your brain. Sure. <laughs> I say that to a lot of people. They'll say our, our spin instructor will tell us something. I'm like, yep, well, that's good for your brain. Like we got new spin bikes that have monitors on them and the monitors are not complicated. I've, I've done three classes now with them starting to kind of, kind of get the rhythm. And she was the, we got them on a Wednesday and she taught Friday and she's like, I haven't had a time to fiddle around with these and we'll just kind of work through it together. And I'm like, yeah, well, it's good for your brain. <laughs> People are going to be tired of me saying that. <laughs> Let's see. What else? What? other things oh you know this is a big one especially if it's a spouse you're taking care of is the loss of companionship and loneliness because you're isolated with them you know if you're taking care of them in your home you don't necessarily want to take them to the grocery store or to target because those places are overwhelming a lot of Mm -hmm. people a lot of stuff they're big they're kind of crazy i don't know why i didn't think about that with the fabric store although they did enjoy the fabric store It's just, I know there's a gentleman, I follow him on Twitter, his quote, respite time, he's running around doing errands, and I guess it works for him, but I feel like he should be doing something a little bit more soul nourishing, and he started online grocery shopping, and I guess he goes and picks it up, because he can't take her to the grocery store anymore, because like I said, you know, you think about your average grocery store is huge thousands and thousands and thousands of items and dozens of people and people going and all, I mean, it's, when you think it would take a step back and you think about it from their perspective, that's a crazy place. Yeah, it is. So. Well, in a lot of ways, it's like dealing with small children, mm-hmm. but you have to be extra careful not to infantilize them. And that's hard. It's very, you know, when they need assistance with something, but they don't want your assistance, but they need, it's like, that's how my dad was. Cause the, at the very end, the last week and a half of his life, we had 
two excellent caregivers. And the one that came Monday and Tuesday morning, she showed up on a Monday morning and my dad was soaked with urine. The bed was soaked with urine and she was so angry at the previous caregiver. She didn't even call my sister or I, she called the hospice nurse and the hospice nurse, he was ticked off because my dad had fallen a couple times and he just felt like they were really seriously neglecting him. And I said, this nighttime gal, that's accurate. These other gals during the day, he's fighting with them. He doesn't want them to help him to the bathroom. He doesn't want them to help him up the step from the living room to the hall. He's fighting them every step of the way. And that was, that was hard because he didn't understand why he needed help. He just thought he was getting over the flu. Even though he couldn't remember what year it was, he thought he was getting over the flu. So since I had that experience with him, and I try really hard not to do that with my mom, but there are times it's like, could you just get your jacket on? And my mom, we're going to get your jacket. We're going to put it on. We're going to get in the car. (laughs) It's like a two-year-old. The more you push, the more they they resist. Right. And so that's not companionship anymore. That's being in charge, but you have that level of you can't treat them like a child because they are adults. So it becomes very complicated. Yeah. So you have any suggestions for people on how they can balance that? I mean, for one, you have to accept that you are treating them like a child. Like you have to, because it's a protective thing. It's just the words that you use, you know, with a child, you don't, I mean, you use, very few words and it's very directive here's what we are going to do and with an adult you have to you have to use a a gentler touch you have to be reminded that they are presumably competent until they're proven otherwise that makes sense And, uh, and it's hard to do it's hard and i mean letting them know that you're struggling that's something you can't do with a child you can't look at a child and be like, you are making me crazy. <laughs> that I mean, is you true. Can say it, but the kid doesn't get it. Whereas with an adult, you can, you know, I mean, not you are making me crazy, but you can say, I am so stressed. You can express yourself and they may not take it. You know, that's, that's beyond your control, but you can at least look at an adult and say, I'm having a hard time. You're being a shithead. <laughs> you know, like you can say these things to an adult that you know that you can't say to a child and at the very least that allows you to express where you're at that's probably something that a lot of spouse I'm assuming a lot of caregivers do because I try really hard not to express those kind of feelings to my mom and now I'm thinking about it definitely I mean if you yelled at her and said oh you're stressing me out that's going to cause a problem no no, no, I'm thinking uh, it's the I language not you language I don't know if you're familiar with that but the idea is you start every every sentence with the word I rather than you. So it's not you're stressing me out, you're being a shithead, you're, you're doing bad things. It's I'm having a hard day. I'm feeling stressed out. I don't know what I should say when you do X. And they may not have an answer, but if you at least have the opportunity to air it, sometimes that's enough to validate your own feelings, even if they can't validate it for you. That makes sense. And I didn't realize, and this is, this is why that's the I statements are so tricky is I flipped it. And if you say it in a way that's, you know, using the I statement, not as an accusation and your tone of voice is not harsh. It actually might help, especially when they're more in the middle stages. I might try that with my mom the next time she's frustrating me to say whatever, whatever the situation was like when we were at the fabric store and because both my mom and her friend, did a lot of sewing as younger women. And I just had a simple little project that I was doing, but the line for cutting the fabric was huge and they were getting frustrated and I was getting frustrated. So I'm thinking if I had said to them, I'm getting so frustrated because they're taking so long and you guys have been so patient and I don't know how to make this better. I wonder if that would have changed that situation. It's definitely worth trying. Well, I mean, think about just things like, especially if you, if you step up and you say, I'm having a hard day, you know, I, I was stressed when I came into this, things like that. Sometimes that helps the other person understand that it's not all their fault. Yeah. Some of it is this. Sometimes it's a case of, you know, I'm stressed out when you do that. I get frustrated when you talk about this rug 24 <laughs> seven, 
right? Like you could say like, I'm bored with going to the same park and I want to go to a different one. Like those are all totally valid things to do. Right. But sometimes it's, you know, I had a hard day today at work or the traffic was really heavy today. And it, and it can help remind you that there are, that this is not just all this one person's fault and it can help them know. Hey Al, your kids are calling you again. Do I need to staple your phone to your hand or something? I know it's been hard since Jean died, but they really get worked up if you don't answer the phone, don't they? You aren't kidding me. It's like I can't even use the bathroom without having my phone on me. Well, I think I found a solution for you guys. Ever heard of the I'm Up app? No. How does it work? Anything to mellow out these kids. It's simple. You add your information and then your emergency contact numbers and a time of day to check in. Then, at the specified time, just tap the big red button on your phone and the contact will get a text. If you don't check in, the contact will be alerted. And if there is continued no contact, then emergency services will be called. That sounds like something worth checking into. Where do I get it? Just download it from the App Store. But there's more. There's a premium version for only $4.99 a month. With this version, you get all kinds of great options. You can program it for one to three daily check-ins. There are multiple emergency contacts, so it can notify the whole family all at once and even a neighbor. There's a pet registry to store important information about the dog, including what to do after you pass away. Also, there's an estate directory that allows you to have all your estate information in one place. The power of attorney information or anything someone might need if you're incapacitated or worse. I'm sold. I'm downloading the premium version now so I can give me and my kids a break. After you download the I'm Up app from your favorite app store, use invite code 006. That way the fine folks at I'm Up know that you heard about them from Fading Memories. You can help mom know, mom, I'm not blaming you. Because then they, otherwise they can get into a very defensive place. You know, and instead if it can be sort of a shared, like, look, this is just the reality and my whole world is not wrapped up in you. So it, not everything's your fault. And I wonder if based on the questions that she asked, because like, as I mentioned, you know, it's always that, that surface polite, well, how are you doing? What's, what's the family doing? And I mean, you'd ask that of anybody almost, you know, maybe somebody bumped into the grocery store. Oh, Hey, hi. No. How's your family? Just, it's just kind of basic. And I'm wondering if she does that because she's trying to not be the center. You know, it's like, She's not trying to make it all about her, even though I don't think that that's a conscious thought. It's kind of, I'm going to have to contemplate on that one for a while. That's deep, you know, because that's all she ever asks. And it's interesting. Like her friend, like I said, talks about where she used to live and what she used to do. And she talks about what her husband does. And, you know, I think she's probably not quite as a late estate as my mom, but she definitely doesn't have much memory. So, her long-term memory must be better. Maybe that's the difference. But it's just interesting because you just kind of flip it around and look at it from their perspective. I wonder if that's why she she uses those really basic, polite questions. Well, I mean, I know that when I'm sick, I'll you know the first round of you know whatever the sickness is. I, I like I said, I have a, a very complicated medical history, and I have a tattoo that is from. Uh, you know, cause I, I spent a week and a half in a coma and six weeks in the hospital at one point in 2010. And I like, this was down in Boston and I'm Salem is about 12 miles away. And I took one of my children to the pediatrician after and mentioned sort of peripherally, this is what happened to me. And they're like, Oh, you're the one. Oh, geez. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just the sick girl. Like I was the sick woman. I was the one who, you know, who had this thing happen to me. And I got so tired of that being my identity that I have a tattoo where I asked my friends and loved ones to write handwrite one word that made them think of my recovery rather than thinking of me being broken and sick. And so I have this 
tattoo on my, which I'm, I, I'm not going to like put my foot in front of the <laughs> camera, but that I have, it, it's all words that are much more positive, much more, you know, faith and healing and fighting and, you know, one of them's pants, which is its own story, but, but, you know, these, and it makes, it reminds me that I did get better, right? And then from there, I I try to deflect a lot about, like, so I'll answer the first round of questions about, yeah, here I am. Like, I I spent last week, I spent three days in the hospital, had a kidney infection. And so I'll answer to people like, yeah, yeah, this is what's going on. And it's pretty crappy. How are you doing? How is your family doing? Tell me things about you because I am, I am in my brokenness 24-7. I know how broken I am. I know how miserable it is. Please give me something that is not about me. Even if I can't hold on to it, you know, please give me a moment where I am, I can act better. That makes sense. And that explains a little bit, like when we were at Pete's Coffee and Tea on Monday, you know, mom's not super communicative. She only asks questions. And we were sitting at like the little bar facing the parking lot. So we were looking at the rain, which like I said, we're in California. It's the end of February. Time for the rain to stop. (laughs) It's like, we only have three months of rain a year done. And I wanted to do a picture of the two of us. So I teased her into it and she has a hard time understanding that we're looking at the phone because, you know, I'm a photographer, so she's used to an actual camera, which would be tricky with, you know, it's hard to do a selfie with an SLR. And I got a really cute picture. I mean, it's not one that I'd frame on the wall, but it's just, it was like a moment of being more normal for her. And so I think I'm going to, I'm going to strive to do more of those. That'll be my goal for when it's not raining and not cold and we can actually go out and watch kids and do fun things for her and see if that helps the way I feel about visits. You know, it's, it's talking to people like you, like you said, you're in your brokenness 24 seven and I can only partly relate to that. I had a, I flew off my bicycle and that was, that was not such a bad thing to do. It was the crash landing that was bad. And so I broke my collarbone at 49 and a half is the only bone I've ever broken. And pardon me. That's a bad one. That's a, that's a, thankfully for me, most cyclists break their dominant side. I broke my left. So that was, could have been worse. And you get a very serious appreciation for ability when all of a sudden you can't even make a sandwich because one arm doesn't work and you're pushing the bread all over the counter, trying to put mayonnaise on it. And that made it a little easier for me to kind of understand my mom, especially when somebody said, you know, you think about all the steps it takes to make a sandwich. It's one of the reasons people with memory loss don't eat very well because it's complicated. It's even, mm-hmm. even a bowl of cereal, you got to get the bowl, you got to get the cereal, you got to get the milk. You know, you're on step three and you still haven't had any food. You know, so it's, I, I can only relate a tiny bit, but that's why talking to people like you is so helpful because you get these little glimmers of insight. And I hope the listeners are getting glimmers of insight tonight too. Let's see. What did we else? I said we had 12, no control, frustration. I think the I statements is a way of, of relieving some frustration. Like we were talking about, you know, like I'm having a tough day or I'm feeling frustrated because it's, it's risky to, to put your negative feelings on them, not on them, but express them. Mm-hmm. If you learn how to express them properly, I think it would actually help. So we're going to, everybody needs to work on those I statements because I think that would really help. Um, lack of feeling grounded. It's because you're, like I said, you're always chasing the next solution to the current problem. It's, it's tough. It's a really horrible disease. I hope they find a cure soon. It is, it is awful because, as you said, you know, the person is gone right in front of your eyes. You see it every day and you can't catch it. You can't, you can't stop. And so then that's where, you know, grounded, we often think of grounded as being, I'm in a place and I know where I am and I know where I'm going to be and I can make 
plans for next week, next month, five years, whatever. Like we, that's sort of what I used to think of it. And I still often do as grounded. Like I feel solid and competent and, you know, who I am. I feel okay. I feel confident. And I think having gone through major medical events myself and having watched other people go through that grounded becomes a different word. And, and instead of thinking of it in future tense, you, it helps to think of it in the moment. I had a good moment today. I just had a good moment and stopping and thinking, saying it out loud to remind yourself like that was a good trip. That was good. I had a moment there that was nice. I had a nice selfie. Like you just said, you know, reminding yourself of those moments that becomes groundedness. And it's not about what I'm going to do in five minutes or 10 or 20, because I couldn't, you know, when I got, when I was at my worst, my husband would say, what do you want for dinner? And it's four o'clock in the afternoon and I could not think that hour ahead. I couldn't, I just, my, your horizon shrinks in real close. So when things are good, you can think the horizon's way out there and you can think of a plan and you can swipe way, you know, months and months ahead on your calendar and make plans. When, when you're very unwell, that horizon comes in close because you're so aware of the fragility of life, the, the likelihood that something wrong may happen even if you're getting better, but as long as you're sitting in the horribleness of it all, and as long as you're sick and broken, it's right here. And you can't even think about much less plan for things down the road. And I think this applies also to dementia and and memory loss kind of issues is that you can't do that anymore. And so instead it becomes, I, I just watched a TV show with my kid and I was able to sit for the entire, you know, hour of it, which I couldn't do yesterday, or I just got a hug. I was able to just look at my kid and say, thank you. Or I was able to get up and leave the room and pick up the thing that I meant to pick up and come back and sit down. Sometimes that was my success for the day. And that becomes groundedness is much more about acknowledging the good that happened, acknowledging the okayness, even if it's not good. That mm-hmm. Here's a thing that didn't go wrong that could have. Yeah, that's and a good way to twist it. You know what I mean? Grounding in the moments that were not screwed up and not planning, not feeling rooted in the same way. But, you know, if you think about like seagrass grows in, in, on the dunes and it doesn't have deep roots, but it's still there and it's, pr- it's pretty strong and it can stay put, you know, in the way. So you stop thinking of it in terms of a tree with these deep you know, hard, you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. instead of those sorts of roots that are, that go, that spread out in their hard wood and, and, you know, I mean, you can't get the roots out even from like a small, you know, shrub kind of bush. The the, the roots are so difficult for years and years after you pulled it up. Instead you look at seagrass where it's still there. It's delicate and it's beautiful and it's temporary and that that's still okay. Because I know one of the, it's not something I think about too much because it's not something we've planned, but there's times when you kind of sit back and you realize, huh, good thing I like where I live because I really can't move somewhere else. I mean, my daughter doesn't live here. There's no reason we have this huge house other than the three golden retrievers. We have no need for this huge house. We love it. So we're keeping it, but you know, I, there's times when it's, I make the, the joke. I came. I went to Jamaica for my fiftieth birthday, and then came home for to all this nightmare. And I've made the joke that I should never have come home from Jamaica. And Jamaica is a le- much less expensive place to live than California. And my husband does real estate, and obviously you can podcast from any place you've got a internet connection. So sometimes we make the joke that we're going to run off to Jamaica, and because I have a metal plate on my collarbone when it rains. I know it because that stupid plate, it's a built-in barometer. Don't need that. The app on my phone works fine, but that's the way it is. So I, you know, I make the joke, Jamaica would be great because then I wouldn't have to deal with the, the barometer on my collarbone. And then you kind of take a step back. You realize that really isn't an option because that would be basically dumping my mom on my sister. And that's not really the right thing to do. So, wow, I'm kind of, I'm kind of stuck here until she's not any, not with us any longer. And that could be 15 years. It could be 15 months. We don't know. It's kind of frustrating. 
But, you know, a way to ground yourself and said is to say, I went there. I went That's to true. Jamaica. I succeeded in taking this trip on my own, you know, or with whatever, who you, whoever you may have traveled. But I succeeded I mean, because travel is hard work. That is true. And the, I was able to do that, and I'm able to carry these memories, and I'm able to joke about it now. There's well, a humor. We've is a traveled gift. since my dad died. We went to Atlanta in 2017, and we went to spring training, and we went to Toronto last year as part of the Rotary the Rotary International Convention. We are not going to Hamburg this year because next year is Hawaii and we want to have plenty of money to spend time in Hawaii. So, and the kids plan on getting married May 2nd and the convention's the end of June. So I'm like, I've been telling them, save your pennies because we can all go together and then you guys can do your own thing and we'll do our thing. And, you know, going together other than the plane tickets would lessen a lot of the costs the way we travel, stay in the friend's mm-hmm. condo and all that. So I'm like, how, how convenient you guys decided to finally plan a wedding yeah, about six weeks before we're going to go to Hawaii. So that'll work. But you're, you're, you're so, you know, you're so positive about able to make these shows. Like that's a gift. That's a special thing. That can be your grounding is the ability to make plans and look forward to things despite sitting in such stressful situations. Like that's beautiful. So somebody that's caring for their loved one at home that feels not grounded, to me that sounds like a time when you should plan for some respite. And you can do respite care. You, know, you can hire a professional. Or if you, and this is where denial is such a bad thing, if, you're, if you've been up front with friends and family and neighbors and they, you know, people, I'm sure you got this all the time, well, let me know what I can do to help. And then you ask for help and it's... <laughs> doesn't always work out so well. If you let people know, hey, it'd be really great if you, you know, if your son could mow the lawn or your husband or whatever. I know that's kind of sexist, but I used to mow the lawn. So <laughs> it's the first thing that pops into my head or, um, you know, I really, I really need a break on Saturday mornings or maybe even Sunday mornings. Maybe you could take her to church or there are ways to get respite without spending $30 an hour on somebody. You might be able to, I know when I talked to the millennial caregivers, they actually swapped their, their loved ones. I'd have to mm-hmm. go back and listen to it. But the, the one caregiver took the other caregiver's grandma to bingo because mm-hmm. the gal, the granddaughter did not, could not, she couldn't deal with bingo. She's like, I just can't do bingo. And her other friend liked bingo. So she took her grandmother with her. And her own grandmother, I believe, is how it worked. And, you know, if you find somebody that's also a caregiver, there might be ways of sharing some of the, the chores and the burdens so that you can each give each other a little time off. Even if it's just a couple hours, take the love. Like my mom's friends used to take her out to lunch once a week. And then one gal took my mom to Costco, which I personally think was insane. But she had my mom for probably three to four hours an afternoon two or three times a month. And my dad didn't appreciate it as much as he, he could have. I, I think he worried cause he was never sure what time they were coming home. And you just tell him, Hey, I'm going to be out till four o'clock. So if you get back before four o'clock, you might have to wait for me. You know, it's, it's not impossible to get a break. You just have to be really creative about it. No. Yeah. And I think that redefining what is success helps. You know, so if you can't travel to Hawaii, but you can stay up late and watch a show that you really enjoy after they go to bed, or if you can take five minutes to go outside and just breathe, like that's a gift. And that's a, that's a, a way to ground yourself. And it's also a way to give yourself a little bit of respite. And sometimes it's about saying out loud, I have a break right now. Because sometimes we start to feel like I'm totally overwhelmed all the time. I never get a break. And sometimes we have to remind ourselves. And the brain responds really well to feedback. It's even if it's in your own voice. And so if you say out loud, I'm having a really crappy day, your brain hears those words and is like, okay. (laughs) Here it comes. (laughs) You know, but if you say out loud, you know, that is why, like there's a movie, What About Bob? And he starts 
But you see him at one point looking in the mirror going, I feel good. I feel great. I feel wonderful. Is like a mantra. But the reality is there is a, there's a reason why mantras have a place in world religions is because your brain hears those words out in the world and is like, oh, well, okay then. And so it doesn't always work perfectly, but it's a start. It's to remind yourself, I'm having a break right now. I almost think too, and this is going to sound really crazy. I, I was not, well, I'm going to, I'm going to digress slightly and then it'll make sense why, where I'm going. When my daughter wasn't planned, she knows that she's still one of the best things I ever did. I didn't know how, I didn't know how to raise a kid, but I've raised lots of dogs, you know, consistent, loving discipline. I figured, Hey, that's got to work with kids. It did. She laughed when we got, I think she was mm, 12, 14 when we got our, when we got a puppy puppy. And there was one day she came to me and she said, you weren't kidding, were you? And I'm like, no, I was not kidding. You know, you raise kids and puppies pretty much the same way. I never smacked you on the nose of the newspaper, but I also never did that to the dog. So, <laughs> and I'm thinking of the person who just, whose parent had no patience at all. Like, I'm ready to move up from the table. I'm ready, you know, it was like, I'm done, move me. I'm ready. It was, it had to be almost instantaneous. And I'm wondering if by accepting the, I got to move him right now, all the time, programmed his brain, just like dogs are programmed, you know, they are, they, dogs work on pattern. That's, you know, they don't have long-term memory. It's all routine and pattern. And so she had trained her father that this is the routine. You, you holler for me and I jump. And I'm wondering if she had just occasionally said, you have to stay there because I'm going to finish my lunch or I'm going to fold these towels or I'm going to go outside and scream at the tree so I don't scream at you. I'm just wondering, and I realized that if he had gotten up, he might have, his heart rate might have dropped and he might have fallen on the floor and falls are bad. That might not have necessarily worked in her situation, but I'm wondering if in trying to do our very, very best to take care of them, we forget that they can learn a little bit. You know, they, the routine of eating at the same time and in the same place those kind of routines, if they know that they need to sit there until everybody else is done eating, I think you say it out loud. You know, I acknowledge you want to get up, and here's when you will. Do you know what I mean? Like, I I, I hear, I hear you say you are done, and I hear you say you want to get up, and we, I will help you up as soon as my plate is cleared. You know, is it going to work all the time? No, but it's worth establishing that you know you are not the only person here because impatience feels crappy well yeah if you always feel under you know under command well if the the father feels impatient all the time like you have to respond to me like that feels that's no good and in feeling like you're helping the other person you know it would be really helpful to me dad if, if you could let me finish this sandwich and that's a good way to word it because I know a lot of times... People like to feel useful. Exactly. And sometimes that's a way of getting loved ones to do what you need them to do is by saying, you know, could you help me out here by doing X? Especially our parents, because they're used to helping us because we're their kids. Mm-hmm. It, it, and it would work with your spouse too, but, mm-hmm. you know, I obviously come from this perspective of, of the daughter caregiver person. And that would also help with the not being able to feel relaxed. And I think we kind of hit them all. We hit self-doubt and regret, no control, frustration, fear, lack of feeling grounded, unrelenting sadness. That one's really hard. I mean, there's not really a way around that one. It helps talking Talking to people. Talking it out. Exactly. Talking it out, realizing you're not alone in this. That's why we have funerals, right? Is to... To have a group of people around that everyone shares your loss, and, and you, you know you can't do that in this way. But you, if you talk it out to people and reach out, even if it's online, whatever form you can, 
to remind yourself that like this is a shared grief because like you know if you're going to carry a couch up the stairs getting somebody else to carry it is really really helpful that's the same with the grief that you're experiencing yeah and I think it helps to acknowledge that that's how you feel I'm wondering how many people try to bury that because it's well, there's a guilt. There's a guilt to saying my mom's gone, or that I, you know that I'm grieving the loss of my mom. Like I'm having feelings when obviously it's them having Alzheimer's, and so there's a guilt there. But it's 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 legitimate. Drop the guilt. Guilt is a, a waste of neurons. That is true. Know? And and just acknowledging like you feel what you feel. That is very true. And it's legitimate and valid because you feel it. Like, you don't need to have an explanation for why you feel the way you do. You, you have those emotions, and therefore, they're okay to have. That is very true, and people need to remember that. Um, I think the only – well, we just touched on guilt. This one, they, they felt guilty when they get irritated or impatient, and that's, that's normal. You know, mm-hmm. we get that one with our kids. We get, you know, that's – Well, okay, you know, I, I tell my kids all the time – I have to love you. Like, that is the rule. I have to love you. I don't have to like you. Yeah, that sounds like something my mom would say. (laughs) Like, love is automatic, you know, and I will love you till the day you die. Like, love is, is, is what it is. But like is earned. And if you're being a jerk... I'm not gonna like you. You're not being likable right now. And just even if the person can't change their behavior because of dementia in whatever form, that's fine. But acknowledging that it's okay not to like them they're not trying to be liked. They're doing nasty things. They're saying nasty things. It's okay to be irritated with that. It helps also to remember that they don't, they don't really have a lot of control about it. They don't, I mean, like when my mom gets snarky with me, I don't, like I said, I've been doing a deep, deep emotional brain dive on trying to, trying to suss out where that root of that snarkiness is coming from. And I think it's her frustration, which is interesting because, like I said, she doesn't remember two minutes ago, so I'm not sure how she gets frustrated. But, you know, there are a lot of times I don't like her, and I, I have to kind of box that one up and set it aside while I'm with her. And then sometimes on the way home, I, I think about, it's like, okay, what did we do? And how did it go? And how did I feel? And I look for the things that trigger her snarkiness or my thinking – you really don't like this person. This is not my mom. I don't like this new person that looks like my mom, but isn't. It's, it's a challenge. It's definitely, I'm in a support group and I talk to all kinds of wonderful people with the podcast. So I'm, I'm blessed that way. That was the best reason for starting a podcast. It totally helped me. <laughs> no, a lot of times you don't think about that. Like I, I, you know, with my podcast, I started it because I had things to say. Things we want to say or knowledge we want to share. There's a podcast pretty much for anything that you may need or want. It gives a voice to people who may not have a voice, and it gives people the opportunity to hear from somebody that's more like them, maybe somebody that's not a big media star. I started Fading Memories because. I've been on this journey a long, long time with my mom, and I thought I had lots of insight and wisdom to share, and I do, but I've gained so much talking to people and learning from people and sharing all this information with you. So I hope you found my conversation with Kate helpful, a little insightful as to what I think and what other people are struggling with, and definitely pop over to Ignorance Was Bliss and take a listen to the other part of the conversation. We talked for a long time, and however she edits her end is going to be fantastic. Coming up next is the promo for Ignorance Was Bliss, a little taste of what Kate's podcast sounds like, so you know what to expect when you listen to our conversation over there. Everybody has a story, and not all of those stories are clear black and white issues, even when we think they are. We wonder, how did this happen? Or what is that like? Or what happens next? Are you sure you really want to know? This is Ignorance Was Bliss.
at IWB Podcast. Well, another episode done. I hope you guys found that information useful. One of the things I found when I started doing this podcast is there's just, there's so many more resources and things for our seniors than I ever, ever was aware of or imagined. And that's my goal, to bring them to you. So thanks again, and I will be in your ears again next week. If you enjoyed this episode and found it helpful, please take a moment and give us a positive rating and review. Ratings and reviews are how new listeners find us, and I can't be a supportive podcast if people don't know I exist. Fading Memories is sponsored by I'm Up. I'm Up is an app that gives you independence, security, and peace of mind. Find it in your favorite app store and use invite code 006 when you sign up.